so Iron Chef was very popular. And before Iron Chef America on Food Network, Morimoto and, uh, and, and Bobby Flay had like a, like, like a face-off, right? Mm-hmm. And Bobby Flay ended up winning. And when he won, he jumped up on the counter and was like, yeah. And he stood on his cutting board. And I remember Morimoto was like, that is an insult to cooking. Like he was insulted. Oh, and so sure. for the longest time, I was like, that is an insult. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not eating anything Bobby Flay does. Inspired by the adventures of our nurses, therapists, and techs, A Beer with Atlas is the only healthcare traveling, craft beer drinking podcast. Each week, we'll open a few beers, talk about the brewery and the style of beer, and then dive into some research curated specifically for each episode. In the end, we hope each one sounds like a conversation you'd have with your friends while enjoying a few cold ones. Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. I'm Brian. And I'm Dolan. This one, it, it's playing in my head because the, the, the song, and you know what song it is. It's that, it's the stereotypical that, ding, 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 ding. You know what song I'm thinking of here? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's yeah. beginning of Kung Fu fighting. Right? Oh, ho, oh, oh. Kung Pao. Yeah. A... a I got to read this because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed it otherwise. But Dolan found this beer. Where'd you find this at? Uh, just IV. I was in there looking for this. Was, I found it back around Thanksgiving time, and um, I was looking for some beers to enjoy. And uh, yeah, I saw it, grabbed it, liked it, had to had to share it. It's a imperial stout brewed with chili powder ginger powder, Szechuan peppers, sea salt, and peanut extract. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's I, – I, I don't even know what, what else to say about that. It's a percent, uh, and if you like Kung, Kung Pao chicken, like, it's, it's that. Or Kung Pao sauce, I guess, okay. minus the chicken part, just the sauce. So it's a stout. It'd be, weird if it, it'd be weird if it had chicken in it. That'd be weird. Yeah, it'd be pretty weird. But I've seen that before. <laughs> well, so coming up, and not anytime soon, uh, I, was, I was actually given a beer from a friend. So not a, not a traveling nurse or just a friend here locally uh, that, because we've talked about it, that is made with actual oysters. <sighs> We'll try it. It's it's oh, called God. like hen house or something. And oh boy. But let's let's focus on the kung pao here because yes. that's a stout, boy. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm going straight from can for this one. And it smells like a stout. It smells it almost smells like a breakfast stout of sorts. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Has that smell to it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Wow. <laughs> I get the peanuts. The peanuts. Yes. Peanut is up front. Mm-hmm. Um, the Szechuan pepper. I can kind of like taste that. that in my back of my throat. Mm-hmm. So if you look, which is interesting because I believe the ingredients are in two different languages. If you look at this can, ingredients, water first, right? I mean, as any beer would be. Yeah. 
uh, malted barley, okay, fine. Peanut extract, okay. Chili, Szechuan pepper, ginger, then hops, then yeast, and that rounds it out. There so, it is. Hmm. Weird. Dolan, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> now, it was, it was good to have with food, for sure. Drinking it on, on its own, now that I'm trying it, I'm like, man, I had it with, you know, veggies and mashed potatoes, turkey. Like, <laughs> it was a good, it was a good uh, mix in my dinner, my Thanksgiving dinner, so... I, but, um, I could definitely eat some Kung Pao chicken with this, and I think it would complement it very, very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it complemented my turkey dinner very well, and that's so opposite. <laughs> but Yeah. I, some of the uh, research notes I saw on this beer says it's supposed to have a soy sauce aroma. I wasn't getting that, which is okay. No, maybe if in a sweeter way, possibly. Yeah, it smells sweet to me, but doesn't taste sweet. Mm. So do you guys, also? You oh, guys, go ahead. You guys know the difference between like your like Lachoy soy sauce and then like your Kikoman soy sauce. Like, Give us the scoop. No. Um, yeah. Well, I just know that one is one is Chinese soy sauce and and the other is not. So, mm. like. Uh, I think Lachoy is not. Yes, it's it's one or the other, but Lachoy is your like sweeter, bland, less salt tea soy sauce, and then Kikomin is like your salt bomb. Mm. Um, and so, like the Kikomin is what you'll find when you go to sushi restaurants. Um, mm. the, the stuff you mix with your your wasabi, yep, and then the lachoy is what you'll find at more like Americanized Chinese buffets. And that's, there's a, there's a big difference. No. <laughs> now Dolan is, he isn't old enough to remember this, but Brian, you possibly remember this because I remember this as a kid. Do you remember? And I believe they may still even sell this. Lachoy would sell the cans and the bottom can is like the noodles. Oh and yeah. Can is like the vegetables and whatever else. Mm -hmm. and it's sealed. And so you pull the seal off and you open both cans separately. Yeah. So growing up, my dad, uh, my dad had an aversion to any kind of Asian foods. Didn't like them. And so we rarely, rarely ate them, which pushed me in that direction. Obviously, as soon as I could possibly go there, I wanted to eat as much Asian food as possible because I wanted to try it sure. because my dad said it was gross. So being the rebellious teen that I was, yep. I got into sushi and, you know, and all of that. Uh, but my mom on occasion would make those Lachoy cans for dinner, especially if dad wasn't going to be home. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, oh boy, that wasn't good. That was like a processed taste <laughs> that yeesh. Yeah. yeah. Lachoy is not... And honestly, I think I think what it is is Kikomin is a Japanese like shoyu soy sauce, and Lachoy is like chemically processed like soy protein. Like I, I think that's what it is. Um, I think actual Chinese soy sauce is is 
it's a different flavor than your Japanese one, but it, it's a little bit longer of a process and it's not like chemically produced like Lachoy is. But yeah, I don't know. I love soy sauce. I have soy sauce at my desk there at work that I still have not finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, it lasts forever, right? I mean, you don't even have to refrigerate it necessarily, do you? No, I do, but you don't have to. Yeah, I don't think you have to. So I, I, my normal part of all of this, right, would be researching the brewery and that type of thing. I tried and didn't find a ton. And here's the thing. I think that's okay because this is going to be, this is completely different than maybe anything we've ever had before. As I'm talking, I feel the kind of the chili, spicy hotness. I get it in my lips right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which, it, and so I actually wrote down on my sheet, this one is weird. <laughs> it, and that's what I, and I went weird in all caps just as I started doing my research here because if you go to their Facebook page, first of all, you go to their website, the website is just like Instagram contact. And then it's, it looks like a little, like a little drop of water or whatever. So it's very artistic. Um, their Facebook page says the goal of Stillwater artisanal is just that living art. Although packaged within a medium often overlooked for artistic merits, our desire is to offer something new and intriguing. Cheers. Yeah, I did that. You did it. That it's a stout that doesn't taste like any stout I've ever had. It's fun and different and spicy and peanutty and yeah, it's got yeah. levels and layers and it's going to change over time. I have a feeling the spice will get hotter as this warms up. I'm guessing as, as it warms up. up. Yeah. Yeah. So, right now it, it really is. Uh, it just reminds me of like, going through the wall drive-through or like Hong Kong Chinese drive-through and getting Kung Pao chicken, just that overly sweet Kung Pao chicken on top of rice. Yeah. Right away. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, artisanal, Stillwater Artisanal is a nomadic gypsy brewing venture. So I don't, Brian, maybe you know. Have, I mean, mm -hmm. do they have a location? I don't know if they have. If that's what it says, then no, they don't have a home location. They're kind of like McKellar was here in the United States for a while. They just mm -hmm. popped up in different places and co-op breweries and brewed at night when they weren't brewing, that sort of stuff. That, that would be my guess on, on if that's what it says. So they're headed by a Baltimore native named Brian Stillwater Strumkey. S-T-R-U-M-K-E, Strumke, mm -hmm. I assume. Uh, formerly an internationally renowned techno DJ. Huh. Interesting. I, that's, that's kind of fun. Uh, they actually refer to his beer. They actually refer to him later as, you know, some, some brewers are chemists, some are engineers, some are microbiologists, others are mechanics. Uh, Brian Strumke of Steelwater is a musician more specifically he is a dj like this was actually someone actually said that about him and then referring to his beer so i mean we we've met our share of brewers along the way and they fall into one of those categories right they're a, they're a chemist they're a microbiologist they they're a mechanic they're a nuclear engineer right i mean mm -hmm. but, but this guy he he is a dj at heart and this is this is mixing together sounds 
in quotation marks, obviously, that you wouldn't normally mix together and getting something completely different like you would in maybe electronic song or something. Sure. That's funny. My, uh, my homebrew brother-in-law, that's how I first met him. He was a DJ, played <laughs> DJ all over, all over. And I would go see his sets and stuff. And now he's doesn't DJ and just homebrews all the time. So that, that's kind of, huh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before really. So it, it, it's really, so he, as, as he was doing this, right. He was homebrewing at the same time. I think as, as, as we found with a lot of people like this, and I don't want to generalize too much, but if they're interested in one thing, like they have those, you, you find those similar traits along the way. They have those other interests in other things at the same time. And then homebrewing kind of finds its way in because maybe they're not exactly finding what they want out of the beer case that wherever they go, right? The, the normal beers that they would normally drink. In 2010, uh, after five years of backyard brewing, so it's not even like brewing in his garage, he's brewing in his backyard. Uh, Brian took Stillwater Artisanal to the public. So he did his first nomadic gypsy brewing uh, venture. It didn't say where, but uh, he's, he's been brewing handcrafted, small batch, authentic ales ever since. Uh, and then within the first year, so this has been 2010, uh, he was named the number two best brewer in the world by international beer rating resource, ratebeer.com. Number wow. two. Wow. Just like that. Just instantly to the top. I was like, while you were doing that, I, I was just trying to see if they did have a location. It looks like they maybe did. And then it was closed. Um, but then I just clicked on their Facebook page for the first time. Mm-hmm. And one of the top posts, um, aside from the teaming up with action Bronson, if you're familiar, he's mm-hmm. been, yeah. Um, he's got that show now or has had that show. It's pretty interesting. Um, but the other thing is they did a collab with evil twin brewing mm-hmm. and it's surf and turf. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Um, surf and turf beer. It's got steak and shrimp on the on the can label, and then a couple couple posts down, they have one called burrito, and the can looks like a burrito wrapped in the aluminum foil, and no. it's written burrito and sharpie. Really? Yeah, um, they did that as a collab with uh, other half brewing. Um, so that's- I've had both of those. I've had Evil Twin and Other Half before. Yeah. Well, they got burrito and surf and turf. So if you find that, send it, send it our way. I'd, I'd be interested. Could you, could you imagine a, a beer made with steak and shrimp? <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe you could get yeah. some Worcestershire flavor in there, maybe, or some A1 steak sauce-ish type. Mm. Lemon, maybe some like lemon pepper going on. I don't mm. know. So uh, these guys have... Um, I don't know if it's a series of beers because earlier this year I found one of their, an IPA that's still water made hmm. and it was called duck sauce IPA. Wow. And I, and I had it and it was what that said. So um, <laughs> apparently this is yeah maybe number two of, of a series that they did with, you know, like food styles and beer. I don't know, but um, I thought that would be the weirdest beer from these guys I had, but uh, I think this one, is, is taking over. That oh, spot. 
Um, yeah, I just scrolled down a little bit further, and the series is Duck Sauce, Kung Pao, and General Goza. Hmm. <laughs> oh. So, now you got Rich's attention. Yeah, now I'm now I'm listening because stouts are fine, but gozas are my jam. So that's that is really interesting. IPA stout and and goza. So this as a gypsy, a nomadic gypsy brewing guy place, whatever. I, I don't know. It it would seem like okay. This your distribution probably isn't that great, right? It, it seems like you're moving place to place, and you're just you know or whatever. That's not the case at all. Stillwater beer has distribution in these states, Arizona, California, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, somehow Nebraska fits in there, but it's not on this list. North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. It's also available internationally in Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Singapore, Spain, Sweden, and the U.K. Wow. A lot of those places are big dance EDM music culture centers, too. So maybe he's got so maybe some, somehow his connection there. Yeah, has that. I don't know. That'd be cool. Well, in that collab with Action Bronson, that's kind of cool. Um, that's actually that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's your segue because as I wrote down, this one is weird. I can't wait to find out what Brian did for research on this because I can't imagine it's anywhere close to what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking, but the first thing I thought of was like, I don't know if I've ever had this food before, this meal. Okay. Like I usually I I'm ordering the same sorts of things over and over again, no matter where I go. So I wanted to do a little research on where Kung Pao came from. So that's where we're going to start with. Okay. Uh, and this is like, hearsay legends right so because it's a long time ago so we don't exactly maybe know for sure but this is one version i found online um usually like don was saying earlier it's kind of thought of with americanized chinese food um it seems to be at least flavor wise it's different than if you were to get it actually in in a different province of china um it's came from i'm gonna butcher a bunch of words here so just hang out with me. Uh, Guizhou, we'll say, G-U-I-Z-H-O-U, province in China, in the early 1800s. There was this kid, and his name was Ding Baozin. And he was chilling in the, in the summertime, and he was going to go maybe swimming with his friends. And guess what? He forgot he didn't know how to swim. And he uh, fell in the water and was going to drown. And this local guy jumped in and saved him. And later on, this kid becomes like a, an official in the government of this province and he like kind of moves up the ladder of power pretty quickly and he decides hey i i kind of want to do a public uh thank you to this guy that saved my life all these years ago if he wouldn't have done that this this never could have happened um so he invites the guy over like for dinner or he goes to his house 
and meets the guy again for the first time in a long time. And, and the guy serves him this, this meal, this Kung Pao chicken that he'd never had. And maybe nobody had had before. Um, the guy that was saved, the kid ding, the politician or official or whatever you want to call him. He likes it so much. He's like, Hey, I, can I have that recipe? It's really, really good. So he starts making it. And then these other people, um, when he's having like dignitary meals and stuff, he's serving it there and it kind of spreads and it gets to the Sichuan province, China. And they're like, this is pretty good, but you know what it needs? It needs to be hotter and spicier. And, and we kind of know how to do that. So boom, there's some of our famous peppers added to the, to the mix. And uh, that's where it kind of gets started. So we're talking 1800s in China. Now the guy's name that saved him, was allegedly Gong Bao Jiding. So G-O-N-G-B-A-O, and then the last name J-I-D-I-N-G. Um, I did learn a few things about this. Um, chicken is not popular in China. You would not get Kung Pao chicken probably there. Um, they import almost all of their chicken from Japan because the chickens that they seem to have in China are just like dry and not very tasty, um, lean, very lean, unlike what we have here where we just shoot them full of hormones and they're like a, you know, walking meatball feather. Um, that's not how they are in China. And so they don't make a lot of chicken dishes there. So when we see them, that's because we're having our American, you know, style chickens. Uh, but there you wouldn't usually get Kung Pao chicken. Um, also China usually, you know, quote unquote, usually steers clear of syrupy sauces sweet stuff really and that's another tip the old american cap where we're like you know this needs sugar and mm. we add it to our you know any americanized chinese place that's what you're thinking you know that's what you're getting so comes from there spreads to around china then it's people um either with trade missions or um missionary stuff different places um, are getting this flavor that they like and then taking it back. Um, so it hits in the UK in like early 1900s, uh, gets to United States via um, California, San Francisco with a, like railroad workers uh, building the railroad out there in California. Um, so it hit in the United States pretty much around the same time. It's leaking out of, of China there. So uh, it's been around for 150 years, at least here in the States. And uh, I guess like, you pretty much know what you're getting if you go anywhere and order that. You have a pretty good idea, it sounds like, of what, what you're going to have. Well, it, it's actually pretty cool because um, – so are you guys familiar with David Chang? Mm-hmm. Famous chef. Um, he's, he's the guy behind the Momofuku. Momofuku. Momofuku uh, cookbooks and stuff. Um, him and, and I think he has, like, an editor that also works on it maybe – but uh, he's got a show on Netflix, and I've watched it. Um, it's called Ugly Delicious. Mm -hmm. And it's a really cool show because it's, it's all very, like, it's almost kind of like the chef show with John Favreau. Like, it's all very um, down to earth. And he kind of explains, like, yeah, like, I do fancy cooking, like Momofuku. Like, I do top-of-the-line cooking. But, like, when I'm home, like, I order Domino's because I freaking love Domino's, you know? Yeah. So he does different different episodes of like where the origins or or 
different types of um, uh, food. So like the, that was the pizza episode where he actually goes and he has like a uh, real Neapolitan pizza and, and then Domino's and compares the two or whatever. And uh, there's an episode, I, th- I think it's uh, episode seven. I don't know. I think it's called rice eater or like fried rice or something. And he actually talks about the origins of Chinese food coming to America. And basically um, like when the Chinese came over, like outside of, of manual labor, like that's what they like brought to the table for American, you know, capitalism or whatever. And um, they had to make their food very, very Americanized sweet and, and just, just so that way people wouldn't be steered away from them and they could keep their restaurants uh, going. So a majority of these places, like on the East coast, if you go in, you can get an actual Chinese menu. And then there's the, there's like the menu that they have online and everything. But then if you go in and ask the cook for specific like stuff, they'll make it for you and they'll do that for, you know, their friends, their family, the, the people that are actually seeking authentic Chinese food out. And then um, in the same episode, he actually travels to China and he uh, meets up with a friend who moved to China, um, like a food food critic who moved to China. And then they sit down and they eat actual Chinese food and they, they talk about the origins of it there. So if you really want to dive into that, that's a really good um, like episode. He's a delicious. Yeah. He's a cool dude. He he was a, maybe a disciple of Anthony Bourdain. That's how I found out about him. Yeah. They were really good friends. And I think um, one of the things I learned about David Chang that was really cool was that he was almost a professional golfer. Like he was like Tiger Woods good as a kid. Like he was winning tournaments all the time and that's what his dad wanted him to do. And uh, he ended up being like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to cook. And he was like, what? No. That's what? not good. And they fought about it for a long time. And yep. they opened these. Yeah. Like you were talking Momofuku uh, in New York. I think there's one in LA and he's got like some other, I think he's got three or four different restaurants, like chain, not chains, but different locations that are, that he controls. He's, I've seen him on top chef. I've seen him all sorts of places. He's, he'd be another dude that would be fun to sit with and talk and have, you know, whatever. I don't think he drinks anymore. I think he's sober now, but um, still be fun to hang out with him and, I believe that the first episode, um, like all cooking shows, and I I don't know why, but the first episode of Ugly Deliciousness, or Ugly Delicious, he has um, Seth Rogen on there, and they just go around and they, um, like, from Jewish restaurants in LA or Hollywood, um, stoned out of their mind. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, I, that episode where they talk about the Chinese food stuff and and how they had to sweeten it and just to keep it on the market um, in early American history is, is pretty cool. I, I think that would be, that's, so I always gravitated towards, as, as I kind of went down that, the food journey after, you know, I, I discovered Chinese food or whatever. Growing up in a small town, we didn't have a Chinese restaurant for the longest time too. So we had to drive like 50 miles to get to the first to get to any kind of Chinese restaurant, much less like a Chinese buffet. But then you, you know, you're introduced to California rolls and, you know, from a sushi standpoint. And I early during my high school days and then into college, I fell in love with iron chef. Oh and, yeah. Great show. Oh, I, Japanese and then, dub version, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
where and the dubbing was so bad and but it was so much fun to watch because then they would they use the craziest ingredients and uh iron chef uh masahiro morimoto was my oh, favorite yeah. he was great he would he pushed things so far and then i found out okay he opened a restaurant in philadelphia so the first time i got to go to philadelphia which was back in like oh boy this was early 2000s i went to his restaurant and so growing up and eating different kind of what I thought was Japanese food and then eating actual Japanese food there, completely different experience. I bet. That's cool. But it was, it was fun. And, it was, and I had gone there multiple times afterwards. Um, I actually met him one time there. at he was, he was there when my brother and I sat at the sushi bar and then he just showed up. So I got his autograph on a picture and stuff. Like it was, we were such weird, like, like starstruck tourists, but I didn't care. I, it yeah. didn't matter. Like, I'm like, man, you are the iron chef. Like that was, yeah. that was a big deal. At the he time. was, that was kind of the beginning of like chef celebrity culture, you know, like right. when those sorts of things were happening and they were, they, people always say they're the new rock stars, you know, like they command the audiences and people go like to Vegas just to try you know, Bobby Flay's whatever, or whoever's, in, you know, like that's just a thing that is now. That was, remember they did as it kind of went down. So Iron Chef was very popular. And before Iron Chef America on Food Network, Morimoto and, uh, and, and Bobby Flay had like a, like, like a face-off, right? Mm -hmm. And Bobby Flay ended up winning. And when he won, he jumped up on the counter and was like, yeah. And he stood on his cutting board and I remember Morimoto was like, that is an insult to cooking. Like he was insulted. Oh, and so sure. for the longest time I was like, that is an insult. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not eating anything Bobby Flay does. Like <laughs> later I learned, okay, maybe this was all for TV. Bobby Flay is actually a pretty good chef. Yeah. But at the time, like I was, I was firmly entrenched in the Morimoto category of you are an insult to cooking. I will never eat your food kind of thing so I, I don't know it's just wow. it, was, it was fun at the time and it, yeah. but it got me interested in cooking and in kind of like in flavors and foods and and that kind of I mean that that plays into the kind of the beer journey too definitely definitely they're like if they're not partners they're pretty close you know mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons people are always like why why do you always drink different beer why don't you just drink the same one I'm like it's a journey it's the fun to you know, we can do this in five years. Somebody will say, Hey, have you ever had that? I'm like, yeah, I, I have. Here's, let me tell you about it. That sort of stuff. Pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pivot because when I was doing my research, this reminded me of another, like we'll quote Asian style, um, stout that I'd had before. And a few years ago, Rogue made a Sriracha stout. Oh, and it came in a big red bottle. It looked like a Sriracha bottle, but it said rogue on it. And it was similar. That one was more spicy. Uh, there, there wasn't the peanut. There wasn't the ginger. There wasn't none of that flavor stuff. There It was just like, here's a hot chocolate stout. <laughs> so what I did was I wanted to do a little research on Sriracha because I don't know anything much about it. I know I have some in the, in my pantry. Uh, my wife likes it quite a bit. So I, I uh, took a little bit of that. Used, used it last night? Yep. On, I made some, well, I, uh, my grandpa had some 
pigs that he raised. And so I ended up with a lot of it in my freezer and, uh, we had some boneless, boneless ribs. So I did some in the instant pot the other night with some of the, uh, wheat beer Boulevard, wheat beer, barbecue sauce. Oh, the Christmas gift. Yes. Yep. You know what's crazy is I did that same thing on Saturday. I had boneless pork ribs <laughs> with that barbecue sauce in the pressure pot. Oh, like my God. Yeah. So so I did that. Uh, well, it, I added the – so it was, since we're on cooking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. get into this. We uh, cut up the ribs. We threw it in the, um, the Instant Pot with some water, um, apple cider vinegar, uh, obviously they were rubbed before they were threw in. Um, so that went in the end spot for about 15 minutes. Then I pulled it out, sauced it and broiled it for about 10 minutes to kind of burn the sauce. On Char it up a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, super good. So then I decided I'm going to do an Asian version of it last night. So we had it, we had ribs and then we had, um, a different dinner and then we had ribs. <laughs> that sounds uh, pretty good. Yes, yes. Um, so for the Asian sauce, what I did was we have a local hot sauce um, here in Omaha by Crazy Gringa and she does it, a hot sauce called Piri Piri. Oh um, yeah, I've not hers, but I've had Piri Piri before. Yeah, and it's Indian basically. It's ginger. Um, and so, or it might be Thai, I don't remember, but I knew it was ginger. So I threw that in with sriracha, some poison sauce, um, a little bit of sambal, and then uh, some sweet chili, mixed that up and, and made, a, made a rib sauce. It was super good. Kind of reminds me of, of this beer. <laughs> Got any leftovers? Uh, yeah, actually, actually, there you go. I'm pretty sure she's going to get to it before I will. Oh, bummer. <laughs> well, here's what I got for Sriracha. Um, first of all, there's a Sriracha week in California, March 7th through the 13th. Oh, Sriracha week as in yeah. days of the week. Yes. Yes. I was like Sriracha week. Is it less spicier? Is it? <laughs> it's like they celebrate it. They have like, they used to have, uh, big events every day. You could take a tour of the place, the factory or whatever. Um, that's the first note I, I had. Uh, that beer I was talking about earlier that I've had before, the Rogue one, um, it's the only time they've ever partnered with a brewery to make anything. So it was like officially sponsored or licensed by the Hui Fong Food Company who makes Sriracha. And they say best paired with foods or used in cooking. That's the beer. So maybe similar to this one that we're drinking, uh, like you had it with your meal, um, this probably just pops even more when you've got some other stuff going on. Um, from what I could tell on their website, there's like three standard versions of Sriracha. There's the kind that we think of with the squeeze bottle with the green cap. There's a chili garlic, which is thicker and chunky. I guess they call it chunky style. So maybe like a thick, chunky salsa, if you will. Um, but that has a little bit of garlic in it. And then there's the one you were talking about, sambal or whatever. Yep. Um, just chili paste, basically. So that's like their three big main sellers. The guy that created it, his name is David Tran, and he lived in Vietnam. And that's the first time he made it uh, in 1975 in Vietnam. And he was basically making what he called it pepper saute. And he had like old Gerber food jars, baby food jars, and he would sell his sauce in those. 
and he would deliver them on his bike. So he'd ride around and sell them to restaurants or people or whatever. And uh, that was how he kind of made his money. Um, in 1979, he left um, Vietnam because of the communist government was kind of coming, cracking down. And he was like, we got to get out of here. So he left Vietnam on a Taiwanese freighter that was registered in Panama and it was named Huey Fong. That was the name of the ship. So that inspired the name for his company because it basically saved his life getting him out of there. He named uh, his food company after the ship that got him, got him out of there. So then he gets, he's in Panama for a little bit. In 1980, he gets to the United States and he shows up down in Chinatown in Los Angeles and he starts making hot sauces again and selling them in Chinatown, basically takes over the market. Everybody thinks it's the best stuff around. He um, drives around. He has his own, like a, they said it was like an old blue Chevy box van. So if you, if you think about like a super long, like almost like an Econoline, but a Chevy version, that's what it was. Painted blue, had the Sriracha logo painted on the side, and he was the only guy that delivered it. And he would go as far as north as San Francisco and far south as San Diego. So he's driving a lot of miles, just him selling his, his hot sauce. And then in 85, he finally gets his first delivery truck. So he's got somebody that actually can do that for him. Um, in 1987, he ups his like square footage production facility. He had 5,000 square foot to start with. And then in 1987, he bought a place in Rosemead, California, and gave him 68,000 square feet because he's growing pretty quickly. Um, nine years later, he needs more space. So he goes two buildings next door and he buys their old warehouse and factory. And two, two doors down from where he was, was this company called Whammo. You remember Whammo, Rich? Yeah. So they made things like hula hoops and Frisbees. Those were their main big 50s toys stuff. Yeah. On darts back in the day. So they're out of business. He buys their place, 170,000 square feet. So he just like doubles his size, only having to move two doors down in the bay. Um, he's never advertised. He doesn't have any salespeople. So he's doing all this. People just come to him, right? Um, in 2009, you could buy this sauce in 10 countries as well as anywhere in the United States, any grocery store. Uh, in 2014, this is now where Sriracha Week is. But in 2014, he has to build a new facility because he just can't keep up. 650,000 square feet in Irwindale, California. Um, tens of thousand people will come there every year, take the tour, buy the gift shop stuff. It's probably one of the only sauces I could think of that I've seen as like merchandise. Like I've seen people walking around with Sriracha t-shirts. I mean, that'd be weird to see a guy walking around with A1 or Heinz 57 shirt. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, that'd be me, but. There you go. <laughs> like Sriracha pajama pants. Uh, whatever you can think of, they have it. Um, and it's all from this one guy that started selling hot sauce and baby food jars in Vietnam riding his bike. And now he's like, you know, the American dream and maybe even more with 650,000 square foot hot sauce facility. So that's what I got you, Sriracha. 
isn't I, isn't like March or February like sriracha month like when it's all probably March yeah when all the fast food places or buffet places usually do sriracha because I know when I worked at Pete's place here Pizza Ranch um, it was like every around the time of March Madness I want to say we ended up with some sort of sriracha pizza and mm-hmm. Burger King would do their sriracha thing and and yep. McDonald's would do their sriracha thing which is pretty sweet it's kind of a good time to have yeah yeah I was I was looking for like comparable spaces so they're at 650,000 square feet right now yeah right so I was looking like okay what's a comparable place so like the distribution for dollar general stores is just over a million square feet okay wow so comparatively this is I mean you're at 650,000 that's pretty darn close right for just one product one product yeah that's that is it is shocking i mean there's there's some like amazon has a number of five hundred thousand plus square feet but that's for how many products we're talking well well, i mean three obviously you listen kind of yeah three so that that's that's just it's shocking how ikea has a a a warehouse in germany that is somewhere like 1.3 million square feet for ikea and sriracha is yeah. six hundred fifty thousand. Like that's that's amazing for never doing any for never having salespeople and never doing any ads. Yeah, you've never seen an ad for it ever. You don't. Never. No. You, you don't have to, I guess. Yeah. Never. That is shocking. I mean, that's kind of what I thought too when I saw that stuff, and I was like, "Oh, this is I'm on a good path of my research because it was kind of like mind melting stuff." Isn't it interesting that how it almost parallels this this guy, this Brian Brian Strumke's journey, where he has distribution in all those states and all those countries, mm-hmm. and yet I've never heard of it. And this is the first time having something like this, uh-huh. and it, it's just it's so different. Yeah, pretty cool. I kind of want to put sriracha in it. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun that you know if somewhere down the road, like he did some sort of sriracha. Even though, you know, even though that's already been done in a way, but in a different kind of way, in some sort of, in some sort of different, interesting way, like I'm sure he could probably come up with. Oh yeah, I'm sure it would be like a layered recipe because the rogue one was literally just like a rogue double chocolate stout with sriracha added. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the sriracha just added the heat. Yeah. I mean, that, mm-hmm. That's all you got from that. So, and that I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that beer at all. But I mean, sriracha added the heat and maybe some sweetness maybe and it was cool because it had the green bottle cap <laughs> oh, so it, looked, it, lit, it literally looked like a big bottle of sriracha it was awesome. pretty cool i i cannot do like just your regular like top ramen or maruchan ramen without sriracha in it um well even if we make homemade ramen i can't do it without sriracha in it gotta just gotta I, have it. it it's it's essential i mean even with pho like if i have pho you're having hoisin sauce and sriracha right in there. That's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> I got a feeling you're like condiment and sauce situation is pretty legit yeah. at your house. <laughs> it, it, we have two of the big parts in our fridge door filled with, I mean, we have everything. Like we we're just talking earlier. Um, what are we going to have for lunch? Well, we're going to have a salad and we have this 
strawberry um, glaze salad dressing. And I have, I'm pretty sure I have bang bang chicken sauce in there. I don't even know. Or bang bang sauce. I don't, I yeah. used it once. But like sauces last forever. I mean, we just have an yeah. endless, endless. We make a lot of uh, like <laughs> Vietnamese and uh, Indian food and some Chinese yeah. stuff. So we have a lot of like fish sauce, oyster sauce, yep. uh, ginger paste, like that yep. sort of stuff that probably I definitely never had growing up in my house. Like there was no Asian food carousel sauces in the fridge like I have at my house right now. That was like, for me, it was kind of the opposite. It's just like, it was new for her, like when we moved in together or whatever. But yeah, I always had some sort of fish sauce, you know, duck sauce. Yeah. Poison uh, sauce was rice vinegar. Um, yep. There's like five different vinegars you got to have for some recipe. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yep. So this is this is one of those things like we, everyone that that's married has one has these things right where like that your wife or husband does something that annoys you just a little bit so the 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 shelves in your refrigerator that are supposed to be for the sauces right mm-hmm. yeah. if if Jenny runs out of space in the regular fridge for like pops bottled water whatever she'll just jam it into the sauce <laughs> section and I, uh, every time I'm like, damn it. And I take it out and I put it back. Like she just thinks there's like extra room in the fridge. Like, no, that's for the sauces. And if there's a, if there's a space, that means we need an extra sauce. Like that's there's right. Something, we're there should not something. be a space. Right. right. <laughs> so Stolen, what do you got? What do you, I'll, I'll, I'll go. My wife, for some reason, cannot close cabinet doors. I'll <laughs> be in the kitchen and when she's cooking, it's like every cabinet door is open. The fridge is probably open. Every day I have to close the cabinet door. She just can't do it. She just forgets. She's on the next thing. She just, she doesn't close them. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go both sides here. I'm going to go both sides. So okay. for her, she leaves the milk out. Okay. <laughs> like... Every, well, I, I, should, I shouldn't even just say milk. I should say everything. Like if she yeah. makes breakfast, like the eggs are on the counter, the milk's on the counter. Like, and if I don't put them away, they'll sit there all day. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause she'll go to work and she'll come back and, and then she decides, oh, this, luckily we drink oat milk and almond milk around here. So it's not like it would spoil too bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, so that's, that's her thing. Um, when we first moved in together, it was just the general organization of a fridge. Like, like for me, the milk always went in the bottom of the door, you know, um, for her, like tortillas and bread went in the drawer where to me, it's like vegetables and fruit. <laughs> like that's what goes in the drawer. And then yeah. the small drawer is the cheeses. But for her, like the cheeses belong on the top shelf on the left side or, <laughs> different different yep. things um i mean i guess that expands into every uh, where does your toothbrush uh-huh. go you know how, where do you store your toothpaste and stuff like that but yeah it's it funny is. those those sort of things that you take for granted especially if you've like lived on your own or whatever and then joined up with somebody and it's just it doesn't make any sense to you 
Right. And you're like, what? why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> but then like you, I mean, obviously for me, it's, it's pretty like it's recent still. So yeah. Uh, like, so we, what do you do that she hates? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> well, how about everything? <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I kick my socks off wherever I'm at. There you go. It's just one of those things where I don't really think about it until I find it the next day and then I throw it in the laundry. Um, shoot. As far as kitchen things, uh, she doesn't like that I'm a messy cook. <laughs> yeah. Like I get all my stuff out and then I put it all together. Then I put it all away. But for some reason, when I have all the stuff out, she's, she's like trying to do something else. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, probably that. I, I can tell you after Jenny and I have been together for 15 years now, these, these habits die hard. It will not, they don't go away. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> no, not whatsoever. There's just not. And so not even, you I might even double down to make them even more mad sometimes. Mm, yep. Yeah. You just live with it and you move on. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yep. Let's untap this beer. I want to know what we, what we got for rankings. You know, it, and I was, I was just thinking about that and I thought, okay, I'm going to write this down ahead of time because this is it, 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 as interesting and different as it is. It's, it's not almost to the untapped community, which is fun. And, and huh. I, I find that very interesting. 4,974 check-ins. That's way more than the little buddy we did last week. Way more. Where do you think we stand? I'm having a hard time standing. I'm going to tell you what, this 11% is, is sneaking <laughs> up. But uh, I think we're going to go 3.86. Now, I have untapped this before. Yep. Um, I haven't done it since Thanksgiving, so I don't remember what I untapped it, and I don't remember what the average is. So I feel like my my doesn't even count. My guess is 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 fair. Um, I am gonna go with Brian, but I'm gonna go with three point eight on the dot. It's three point seven seven. You were so close, going so close. Now here, and this might have been the turkey talking, quite honestly, with Dolan. <laughs> He gave this uh -oh. 4.75. Oh, wow. That's legendary. <clears throat> In my book, now, Brian, and I've said this so many times before, and I, will say, I would say this to his face, quite honestly. Yeah. Brian is a five whore. Oh, he yeah. will give fives to everything. Yeah. Generally. Uh, what I notice is when Brian gives a beer something in the threes, like a three five or a three seven five, I'm like, oh boy, he's probably like more like all. a two five for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, Dolan, I what did it need to be a five? Yeah. Why? What? What were you missing? Here's the thing: I have a hard time giving anything a five unless I know, like, holy crap, that is amazing. So like if I, okay, so for this, the reason why it's not a five for me is because I could go the route and say, wow, there's no other beer like this that would nail the Kung Pao flavor. And, and this is a five because of the flavor. I gave it a four, seven, five, because I just, 
I don't know. I'm, I like marketing and I like pleasing the majority and I'm not sure that this beer would please the majority. Um, mm. so yeah. And, and I also don't use the five like at all on untapped. Like it's just kind of a rule for me. Just like, okay, like five means that this is like the best thing that I'm ever going to have period. And I feel bad when I rate something a five and then, and then later on I have something better and I'm like, well, this, this is not a five because it's really hard going from like styles of beers, you know? So when I'm uncertain, I give it a four, seven, five, or when I'm joking around, I'll, I'll give it a five, <laughs> which is why every time I have a Coors Light or a PBR or anything <laughs> like that, it's a straight five, no matter what. <laughs> Which is, which is interesting if you follow any of us or the, all three of us on Untap, which I know there are some that do, yeah. um, you, you will see that we, we gave Dolan some, we gave Dolan a pretty hard time when he gave the PBR a five yeah. here over the <laughs> break. We did. But I understand why he did it. So, and I understand why Brian does it too. And in a lot of ways, I haven't, I haven't given out a lot of fives over the years, but the ones I have given fives to – are the ones that I compare in that same style other beers to. And I wouldn't be scared to give another five to say, you know, a double dry hop hazy that was just as delicious as the ones that I've given fives to before. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. Untapped is, it's interesting. I mean, I, I like it to see like the history of things that I've had and how my tastes have changed. Like I think maybe last week I had a beer. Oh, it was uh Rasputin. So that's a, a stout that's made out of uh, like Old Coast out of California. And the first mm -hmm. time I checked it in, I did not like stouts. And I gave it a 275. And that was in 2012. So <laughs> nine years later, my tastes have changed a lot. And that's a good beer. So I mm -hmm. up my, up my check-in and uh, kind of felt good about it. But it was kind of fun to see the journey. In a couple of weeks, we'll hit a beer that is a Pilsner. It is a very, it, it, I'm sure we'll talk about kind of the, how Pilsners are uh, very difficult to brew, even though they are very simplistic in nature. And I, there was a beer that I gave a very low score to originally, maybe a couple of years ago that I score very high now because it is, it's a, I'm at a different place in my beer journey and my palate is looking for something completely different. And this is hitting kind of what I'm looking for. Nice. I would say to um, being uh, just finished with COVID and, and going through all that whole thing, my taste has changed a little bit. <laughs> I never, I never lost my taste, but I do know like, so for Christmas, I got tons of beer from, from family. Like I, I ended up with like uh, a few 24 packs we'll just say that and it's all just random like i ended up with shiner boulevard and whatever but boulevard had a variety pack and they had the snow and snow and tells in it mm, yeah the scotch ale yeah the scotch ale and um i know around christmas we did some scotch uh, or a scotch ale and uh i liked the snow and tell way better than the one that we did around christmas loved it but then I got COVID and I tried drinking it a couple days ago and I could not finish it. It was <laughs> gross. Um, and just different things like 
like the coffee that I normally get at scooters. Um, I went and, and got one yesterday and I just, it tasted so much different, <laughs> but yeah. maybe, maybe that's, that, that's a factor playing here too. So. That, I, I think that's, it's just, it's accelerated your beer journey maybe a little bit. And, and so it'll, it, maybe we'll try different stuff along the way. And maybe what you thought before like that was something that you're, yeah, maybe that's not your jam anymore. And we'll, we will find out because this isn't going to end anytime soon. I love doing these. And these are, these are a ton of fun. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple of, we've got a couple more fun weeks coming up. I'm going to tease one. I'm going to tease two. How's this? They're coming up in the next few weeks, maybe more than a few. Um, we've got a beer from a wrestler or how about this? A wrestler. Yeah, he's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. The wrestler is a snake. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. It's going to be super fun. And then we have a beer coming from a, a brewery in California that in conjunction with possibly the purest hitter in all of Major League Baseball of all time. Um, if you know beer at all, you know we're referring to Tony Gwynn and, 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 and the beer that Ailsmith does. We finally got our hands on some thanks to an Atlas Traveling Nurse and I can't be more thankful. Even if we do it in this, we got three of them, and so we can do it in this format right here. But we finally get to try the Tony Gwynn beer from Alesmith, and I can't wait. I can't wait for baseball. Yeah. I can't wait for Tony Gwynn beer. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. We're not going anywhere for a while. Let's have a bunch more beers. Thank you for listening to A Beer with Atlas. Special thanks to our brand team for producing the show. Each episode of A Beer with Atlas is powered by Atlas Medstaff, an industry leader in travel healthcare staffing.